I think you can live a magic life when you've decided who you are, why you're here, and what's really true about love, about God, and about life itself. Hello and welcome to Soul Deep Conversations with Livy. This is where we talk about the stuff that matters. Life, love, spirituality, relationships, parenting, and more. I'm Olivia, your host. I'm a singer-songwriter for children and adults. I'm a podcast and video producer and social media creator. If you love juicy conversations, you've come to the right place. Welcome, Neil. I can't believe you're here. This is so cool. Neil, uh, as a lot of people will already know, has written 39 books. Oh, my goodness. Is that right? Is that the current number? Yes. That's amazing. 39 is my latest and my final book. Final? Really? Yes, I think I've said what I came here to say, but The God Solution is my 39th and last book. Neil has had seven of the nine books from the Conversations with God series in the New York Times bestseller list, with book one being there for 134 weeks, which is remarkable. They're translated into 37 languages, and you are the creator of CWG Connect, which is a global network where people can discuss more deeply what's in the Conversation with God's series. And your latest book is The God Solution. So, absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you. It's lovely to be here with you. Wonderful. I do believe that's what you would like to focus on, the God solution. It's not a dialogue book between me and God, but it is a, it's a very easy read, but it places before people a simple, elegant, powerful, inspiring solution to the challenge that our species faces. We need to revise our ideas but our ideas about everything, about who we are, about life itself, about the purpose and the reason for our existence, and about that thing that so many people call God, or Yahweh, or Jehovah, or Brahman, or Allah, or whatever word they want to use, to refer to that ineffable essence that we call the divine. We really need a, a reworking of all of our ideas about every aspect of human experience. The whole idea of who we are, what is our true identity, and what are we doing here? What's the point of life? And then we have to take a look at the question of, if there really is a God, and and eight out of 10 people believe there is, by the way, recent surveys have shown, that eight out of 10 people all over the world, these these surveys have been taken in every culture, in every nation on the planet. Surveys have shown that eight out of 10 people say yes when they're asked, do you believe in a higher power? Whatever you call it, they say yeah. But interestingly, even though eight out of 10 people believe in God, we can't seem to come to an agreement about who and what God is what God wants, how we can offer God what God wants, if she wants anything, and and what happens if we don't give God what he wants. Does he, does he actually judge us? Does he condemn us? Does she punish us? And what does she do? And what is the whole point? What's the whole point of this whole experience? So that's my dear Livy, what I think uh, that we need to do on this planet, rearrange our ideas about everything from the ground up because nothing is working. The world that we have created is simply not working. I mean, think about it. I don't want to give a lecture here, but just to let you know, you know what my observation is, Livy, nothing's working. Our political systems are not working. They were designed to help nations get along with nations and the world come together in a more useful, beneficial way. They haven't produced that outcome. They've produced exactly the opposite. Our economic systems, which were produced to give everyone at least a fair chance, at least a fair shot, have not produced that outcome. There are huge numbers of people who don't have even a fair chance 
And so those systems, our economic systems on the planet, have produced exactly the opposite of the outcome that they were designed to produce. Our social systems, which were designed to bring us closer together to each other as people, have produced exactly the opposite. They're tearing us apart. And saddest of all, maybe, our spiritual systems, which were designed to bring us closer to God and hopefully closer to each other, have produced exactly the opposite, upside down. It, it, our religions have kept us apart from each other. Did you know that more wars have been fought on this planet throughout human history in the name of God than any other individual reason? Really? What's that about? <laughs> what in the world is that about? And we've had armed conflict on this planet for 92% of recorded history. So, we need to revise our ideas about everything. And that's what I am hoping people will get as the main message, both of the Conversations with God books, and in particular, the book you mentioned, The God Solution, which is the final book in the Conversations with God body of work. It pulls together and brings together between the covers of one book, a very thin book, by the way, it's not a big, thick book, it doesn't take two weeks to read it. You can read it, you know, in a Sunday afternoon. It's a very easy read, but it places before people a simple, powerful solution to the challenge that our species faces. And my dear living, if we don't meet these challenges, if we don't find a way to do something as simple as get along, Hmm. We, we can't even stop killing each other when we disagree. We, how primitive must our species be when we can't even find a way to get along with each other, much less improve our lives collectively? We, we can't even stop spoiling the environment. We can't even correct the climate crisis. We can't even agree that there is a climate crisis. We can't even come to an agreement about what's right in front of our face. Sometimes if you want to, I want to just get on a big telephone that talks to the whole world and say, hello world, hello world, uh, hello, 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 is anybody, is anybody there? Does anybody care? Does anybody see what I see? Am I the only one? But when I talk to people like this, in lectures, in interviews, and so forth, they say, no, we all see the same thing. We all see rampant dysfunction. So if we all see the dysfunction of humanity, what stops us from doing something about it? Ah, let that be our question for the day. And that will be what you will offer is your answer. I'll just sit back and wait to hear what your answer is. <laughs> um, I don't have the answer, but do we... 80 well, I thought you had the answer. That's why I'm interviewing <laughs> I'm you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I came here to interview you because you said you had the answer to the question, and all I had to do was interview you. So but if you don't have the answer to the question, then who does? <laughs> But um, so 80, over 80% believe in God, but we, I think a lot of people struggle to openly talk about God. Do you think maybe we have to be more open in talking about our spiritual beliefs and, and talking about God? Of course. Hmm. We need to be not only more open, but more loving, more agreeable, more willing to accept an idea that we may not find on the surface of it agreeable. Well, you know what we need right now are idea heroes. So we tell need me about idea. an idea. What's an idea hero? I read the book. Well, I, I, yeah, let me give you some examples. Uh, uh, Galileo. 
was an idea hero. Galileo said in 1633 that the earth revolved around the sun. The church taught at the time, no, the sun revolves around the earth. It was the church's teaching. This was official, by the way, dogma, theological doctrine. This wasn't an idea where somebody thought about it. This was the official theological teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. The sun revolves around the earth because the earth is the center of the universe. And we, as the sentient beings on the earth, are the center of that universe. We are the most important beings in the universe. This was the teaching of the church. When Galileo said, no, actually my scientific findings have proven that the earth actually revolves around the sun, he was excommunicated. He was condemned by the church, by the Pope. And he was, because he was a Catholic, he was arrested and had to live under house arrest for the final eight years of his life. He died a broken-hearted man because the church made him renounce his own ideas, even though he bravely put them out there in the universe, knowing that the church would vehemently disagree. That's what I call an idea hero, a person who has an idea that he or she knows people are going to disagree with, but they're going to be heroic about it and share the idea and live the idea anyway. It's amazing but, what you have. Uh, I, can, I, I want to give you two other examples because some people really catch the flavor of what I'm saying. Ignace Semmelweis was a Hungarian doctor. He said, you know, we're losing too many patients in this hospital. He, he worked at a hospital in Vienna and he noticed that patients were dying in numbers that shouldn't be as high. And he realized after a while that doctors, surgeons, and physicians were not sterilizing their hands between patients and between procedures because guess what? Sterilization didn't exist as a process. He was known later as the father of sterilization. He said, what if we washed our hands in alcohol or some kind of a sterilizing liquid that could clean the germs off our hands? But doctors didn't believe in germs, believe it or not. This is in 1844, and they didn't believe in germs. They told Dr. Semmelweis that he was crazy. And the man died in an insane asylum because he was told he was crazy. They drove him out of the medical profession. Only 150 years later did medicine decide, you know, he might have, he might have had something there. Maybe he was right. What if, we, what if we cleaned our hands with a sterilizing liquid? And the death rate in the hospitals plummeted, went way down. And so they finally said, well, I guess good old Semmelweis was right. Too bad he's not here, because he died in an insane asylum. Barbara McClintock, the last example I'll give you, in more recent times, back in 1944, she said, there's such a thing as a jumping gene. She was a geneticist, and she discovered what she called jumping genes. Everybody in the genetic community told her that she was totally wrong. What are you thinking, Barbara? What are you saying? What are you? But she discovered jumping genes. She discovered that genes actually jump from one chromosome to another. They don't travel through any kind of medium like liquid, or they jump literally from one chromosome to another. And that uh, uh, describes why there's such a huge difference from generation to generation in inherited characteristics. They told Barbara McClintock that she was crazy until 1983, when guess who won the Nobel Prize in metaphysics? Barbara McClintock. The world came to its senses again this time, she didn't have to die not knowing that finally everyone came to agree with her idea. She was another wonderful idea hero. History has been replete with idea heroes. Now, what we need is an idea hero for today. And we need not just one or two. We invite everyone to be an idea hero. Everyone 
who's watching this program right now is invited to be an idea hero to put forth an astonishing, theologically revolutionary idea of God, of life, and of who we are individually. Theological ideas that we know ahead of time that millions of people are going to disagree with. But we're going to advance the idea anyway because we know that when the world comes to its senses, they will realize, of course, of course, that's exactly how things are. But more than being right about it, it would change the way the world experiences itself. So here's the idea. The idea is this. We've come up with a new definition of God. God, is, as it turns out, is not an older man with gray hair and a white beard and, and a really good-looking guy who... Wait a minute, now that I think about it. <laughs> <coughs> Maybe God is. But it turns out that that's not who God is. And God is simply an energetic expression of the essential essence of life itself. An energetic expression that is self-aware and self-conscious and can take any form that it wishes, including the form of any sentient being in the cosmos. So it is true that divine expressions of that essential essence have traveled the earth and have traveled the planets where other civilizations live as well. But the feeling that is God, the essential essence that I'm talking about, can be felt by every living being. And it feels a certain way. It feels like pure love. So we offer the world an heroic idea that God is pure love. Now, when I mention this to audiences around the world, someone in the audience often stands up and says, oh, Neil, 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 I mean, come on. Uh, we've been listening to you for 15 minutes, and your big revolutionary <laughs> idea is that God is love. Everyone agrees on that. No one disagrees. I mean, of course God is love. And I have to say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. I didn't say God is love. I said God is pure love. And there's a difference. Mm -hmm. What's the difference? And then my person in the audience will say, all right, what's the difference? Mm -hmm. The difference is that pure love needs, expects, requires, and demands nothing in return. Zero. So it's unconditional Can, love. Dare we believe mm -hmm. in a God who requires and demands nothing in return? You don't have to be Catholic. You don't have to be Christian. You don't have to be Muslim. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to be a Baptist. You don't have to be, you don't have to be anything. You don't have to be black. You don't have to be white. You don't have to be gay. You don't have to be straight. You don't have to be a Democrat or a Republican. Republic, I can't say it. <laughs> you, 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 you know, just kidding. For all of you Republicans out there, I'm just having some fun. Everybody relax. But God, God, God says, you don't have to be or do anything. There's no such thing as the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. I don't need you to somehow perform in a certain way in order for me to receive you and welcome you back home on the day that you leave your body. Now, can we believe in a God like that? That becomes the question. Dare we? Get out there and tell other people, this is how God really is. Because you understand that if we did this, 
We have to throw out our whole system. The system of a God, as the system of a God who we insist judges, condemns, and punishes. But you see, here's the problem. Human beings have been using that as their model of how to behave. It's become our behavior model because after all, what's good enough for God is good enough for us. And we've been taught that God judges, condemns, and punishes. So we feel perfectly free to condemn, judge, and punish others. We behave with others the way God behaves with us. So we've been taught. But if, yeah. we, if, we, if it turns out that we were wrong, if it turns out that what we've been taught is inaccurate, it's not the truth. Now we have a brand new ethical standard. Imagine our political system, our economic system, our social systems, and our spiritual systems suddenly embracing a notion of God who judges no one, condemns no one, and punishes no one for anything. I realize that's spiritually, theologically, revolutionary. No, we got to believe in a God who punishes and judges. Otherwise, how could we ask people to be nice human beings? If they're not afraid of God, then what would stop them from doing whatever they wanted to do? So what we have to do on this planet is to find a, find a way for us to teach a willingness to be wonderful without using fear as the motivation. Either be good or God will get you. Let me, let me share with you something, Libby. I know I've been talking for a long time, but let me share with you just one example. When I was nine years old, I was raised, by the way, in a Catholic family. When I was nine years old, the priest would come into our classroom and teach what's called catechism. Catechism is a summary of the doctrines and the dogmas of the Roman Catholic Church. I remember one Sunday in particular, he came, I mean, one week in particular, he came into our classroom and he said, you do know that he said to the children, I was in eighth grade, he said, you do know that you, you are supposed to go to Mass on Sunday. And we all went, yes, Father, yes, Father. But you must be made aware that if you miss Mass on Sunday, without a good excuse, or if you have to take care of a sick parent, okay, or if you're an adult and you have to work, okay. But if you don't have a good excuse and you miss Mass on Sunday, then you should you get hit by a bus on Monday and tragically die, on Tuesday you'll be in hell. Because missing Mass is a mortal sin. And you go to hell for committing mortal sins. I'm nine years old, mm -hmm. and I'm being told that if I miss Mass on Sunday and die without confessing my sins, I'm going to hell. You know, that scared me <laughs> because, as it happened, I didn't go to Mass till last Sunday. I went to the playground and played with my friends at the playground. So, of course, you have to know I rushed down to the confessional the next day and said my confession, which is a sacrament in the Catholic Church where you confess all the, all the things you've done wrong. Now, I'm a nine-year-old boy, mm. and the priest is in the confessional, and I'm saying the traditional Catholic prayer, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. My last confession was a week ago. These are my sins. And normally I had to make stuff up. You see, I, I wasn't really doing anything mm. bad, but I would I'd literally make something up because the the nuns made you go to confession once a week whether you had sins to confess or not. So I'm confessing my sins, usually making stuff up. You know, I, I, mm. I talk back to my mommy. Or, you know, or I stole my brother's lollipop. Or whatever I could make up so that the priest would have something to, you know, forgive me for. But this week I had a real one. I said, I said Father, I missed Mass on Sunday. 
I went and played baseball instead. And I don't want to go to hell. So please ask God to forgive me. And I was serious. And the priest gave me absolution, told me to go out into the church, say my penance, because priests give you penance to say after you confess your sins. My penance was three Our Fathers, three Hail Marys, and three Glory Bees. And God would then forgive me for missing Mass on Sunday. <laughs> That's, yeah. And if I did get hit by a car, I wouldn't go to hell. Yeah. This yeah. is the God that's I was such, told to believe in. I'm not making this story No, up that's what happened Catholic. when I when I was a kid. I was uh, raised Catholic, but my parents were a little bit slack. They never took me to church, but I went to a Catholic school. Oh my and God, we, they're and, all going to hell. I know, and that would be I when we went as a school to the church and we went to confession, that was always my confession is that I didn't go to Mass on Sunday, and it never occurred to me until looking back as an adult that, hey, I was a kid, I wasn't going to take myself <laughs> to church, I wasn't, that wasn't a sin. Yeah. So, yes. It, it wasn't even a sin if you were an adult. Exactly. God doesn't count the days you miss church and say, oh, you're in big trouble. I'm a God who punishes you if you don't come to my church every Sunday. The Catholic Church also teaches that it's the only true religion. Hmm. If you're a Methodist, yeah. if you're a Lutheran, if you're a Presbyterian, God forbid if you're Jewish, if you're Muslim. Even if, though Jesus if was a Jew, yeah. Oh, oh, oh my God. It never made you're sense to me yeah, that Jesus so said... So we have Christians all over the world running around trying to save people from hmm. a from a God who is angry, violent, vicious, and punishing, and condemning. No wonder the world is the way it is. Condemning, judging, and punishing each other. No wonder what would happen if we had idea heroes who were heroic enough to stand up and say to all their friends, to their family, to anyone whose life they touched. By the way, we have it wrong about God. We have it wrong. How do we know if we're being God. a brave idea hero and that we're not crazy when we're different and faced with the so much opposition? How do we learn to have that faith in our ideas and ourself? By looking at how the world is now. Does the world seem like it's a sane place to be? Have, have, if, if the teachings about God have been correct for all these hundreds of years, why is the world such a mess? We can't even get along. Is it possible, is it just possible that there's something we don't fully understand here about God, about life, and about each other? the understanding of which would change everything? That becomes the question we get to ask ourselves. Maybe there's something we don't fully understand. Oh, Neil, 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 it's all there in the book. Just read the book, it's there in the book. Don't be a heathen, it's there in the book. Oh, of course, I should read it in, in the good book. The Upanishads. Oh, no, I mean the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> no, 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 I mean the Book of Mormon. No, no, I, I, I mean the Talmud. No, 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 I mean the Koran. No, no, I mean the... Uh, wait, wait, I'll get it right, I'll get it right. Uh, which book are we supposed to believe? Oh, there's only one book. The rest of them are all filled with lies and inaccuracies. So there's only one book and only one religion. And if you don't make the right choice, it doesn't matter how kind you have been in your life, how compassionate you've been in your life, how good you've been in your life, how forgiving you've been in your life. None of it matters because you chose the wrong religion. So you're going to hell. This is the God. It never made sense to me, no. This is the God we've been told to believe in. 
And when you ask a question like you asked, how do we know that we're not the ones who's crazy? I mean, really? Really? The doctrines of the church don't sound crazy? It's what we're thinking, what we know in our heart that sounds crazy? You know what? If that's what it sounds like to be crazy, I'll choose being crazy. Because I don't believe for a minute that God is going to punish you with everlasting damnation because you happen to be the wrong religion or no religion at all. Does the source of all power in the universe find itself furious with one of eight kajillion sentient beings in the cosmos? Doesn't sound very nice. join the wrong church? Yeah. I, I mean, really? Yeah, no, like for me, the teachings of Jesus to me make sense. The parts about unconditional love and his example, the bit where he says, the only way to heaven is through me. I have a feeling it was misquoted a little bit because that doesn't, that sounds a little bit egotistical. But I think in the end, if he people... Didn't say, I, he didn't say the only way to heaven is to me. He said, he said the way I am yes. is the way to be. Important distinction. Yes. How can and why people... wouldn't God follow... I, I, I have a question. Yep. If Jesus was the Son of God, why wouldn't God follow his own son's example? Why would God punish and judge those who violated God's seeming commandments when it was Jesus who said, love your enemies and pray for those who do you evil and forgive those who do not do what you want them to do? Love your enemies. Why would God say that and then say, except, except of course, my father. My father is not going to love his enemies. He's going to send you to hell. But, but uh, you should be better than my, than my father. And, and, you know, and, so, and when a man slaps you on the right cheek, turn and offer him your left. And when a man asks for your coat, give him your shirt as well. And when a man asks you to walk one mile with him, Go with him too. That's my teaching, said Jesus. Now, if I could just convince my father to do the same thing, <laughs> we'd have a good thing going here. We'd have a good, good thing going. How can people learn to hear God? Because I've heard you say that God's talking to all of us, not just not just you with your beautiful books, but He talks to all of us. But do we listen? How do we recognize when God is talking to us? Because that would help us be ideal heroes if we could trust that, that voice. God speaks with pure love. And when we hear the messages of God, we will recognize it as pure love. And when we hear other messages, we will recognize that that's not pure love. For instance, some religions teach that you shouldn't be given an education. You shouldn't be allowed to go to school. You shouldn't be allowed to drive. You shouldn't be allowed to vote. You shouldn't even be allowed to leave your house all by yourself unless you have a penis. But if you don't have a penis, if you're a female, you can't vote, you can't leave your house by yourself, you need to cover yourself from head to toe and just have a little slit you can see through, and, and, and you, you, all sorts of things you can't do. You can't go to school, no education. And so when we hear messages like that from God, or from the so-called teachers of God, we have to ask ourselves, does that sound like pure love? When we create laws that say, I know how to stop people from killing other people. Thou shalt not kill. I know how to stop people from killing other people. We'll kill them. We'll do it deliberately. We'll call it the death penalty. And we will say, we will kill you to get you to stop killing other people. Has it worked? 
We've been using the death penalty for a long time, but guess what? It's not working. And it was Albert Einstein, one of the great scientists of all time, who said, you can never solve any problem using the same energy that created it. So you're not going to bring an end to anger with anger. You're not going to bring an end to war with more war. You're not going to bring an end to killing with more killing. You're not going to bring an end to terror with more terror. And you're not going to bring an end to fear with more fear. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting to get a different result. That's insanity. But we're doing it anyway. I've got an idea. Let's do the same thing we've done for the past 7,000 years and see if it could maybe work tomorrow. There's an idea. Forget about do unto others as you would have it done unto you. Let's just do unto others as God does unto us. Let's judge, condemn, and punish each other. There's a good idea. Hmm. You also talk about God being defined by feeling as well. Can you describe that? Feelings are the language of the soul. So it's, God is a feeling that I call pure love. So what I'm suggesting with that statement is that God is the energy that flows through us that we recognize as pure love. And that is the feeling that is God. Now, if we decide to express and project that feeling to everyone whose life we touch, be careful, because we could wind up changing the world or at least changing the world in which we live and changing the lives of everyone around us. But you've got to be an idea hero because some people will come to you and say to you, by whose authority are you acting like this? Takes bravery. Even as they asked one particular person, the same question. By whose authority are you acting like this? Renounce what you've just said, or we will put you on a cross, nail you to the wood, and let you hang there until you die. And he forgave. Which brings me to, you talk about the next step from forgiveness, where you don't even need to forgive. No. Understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master. And I was told that directly by the God of my understanding. When we understand how a person could do something, we no longer need to forgive them. Our response transcends forgiveness. I love to give talks in churches. I just gave a talk in a church last Sunday, large church in Los Angeles. And I get to stand up in front of the congregation and say, I've come here today to tell you that God will never forgive you for anything. <laughs> and the place goes crazy. Congregation, they don't know what to do with that. I said, no, no, you have to understand, God will never forgive you for anything. For the principal reason that God cannot be hurt, damaged, injured, insulted, angered, or frustrated in any way. So God has nothing to forgive you for. Any more than you would have to forgive a three-month-old baby in your arms. Here it is Sunday, you're wearing your Sunday best, your best clothes, and someone puts your three-year-old niece in your arms, a beautiful, three-month-old, not three-years-old, a beautiful three-month-old baby in your arms. And the baby happens to have a, a little biological accident. Do you have to forgive the baby? Do you say 
It's okay, sweetheart, I forgive you. <laughs> That's crazy, isn't it? Of course you don't. Because you understand that forgiveness is not part of the equation. You simply understand how something like that could occur. And that's how God interacts with us. She understands how something like the way we're living our life on earth could occur. Because we're a very young and primitive and immature species. But we're growing. We are maturing slowly but surely. We are getting to the place where we can finally answer the question, is it possible? Just possible that there's something we don't fully understand here? The understanding of which would change everything? Or are we going to insist, no, we have all the answers. So I think that we are an arrogant, immature species, but we're getting there. We're getting to a place where we're suddenly and finally waking up. I could, of course, be wrong about all of this, but I don't think so. <laughs> it certainly seems like a more healthy relationship to have with God and with each other to believe in unconditional love and a pure love and to express that rather than to condemn. I love your story about your mum when you broke her precious vase. I think that was a beautiful example. Did you want to tell that story? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Makes me a little bit wistful, for sure. But yeah, you've, you've already told the story. I, I was, what, maybe nine years old, eight or nine. Perhaps a bit younger, seven. I was about seven years old, but my mother had a vase on the mantelpiece in our house. And the, the instructions to all of us were, don't touch the vase. This vase has been in my family for Hundred, literally hundreds of years, not just from my mother, but from my mother's mother's mother. From three or four generations back, this vase has come across the ocean and been cared for lovingly and passed down through the generations. Now it's beautiful vase on our mantelpiece, but don't touch the vase. Well, of course, one afternoon, when no one was looking, I just had to see what is so special about this vase. I don't understand. So my seven-year-old boy, I found a little box or something, whatever it was, a stool or something, to step up on, making me tall enough to get to the top of the mantelpiece. And I reached up. Of course I had the intention of just looking at it. I just wanted to look at it to see what's so special about this. So I picked it up, and of course I looked at it closely, why is this so wonderful, so unique? And you know the story, of course, I dropped it. I just accidentally dropped it. My heart sank. Oh my gosh. Oh no, oh no. Oh my gosh, that's been the worst thing I ever. Mommy's never gonna forgive me, oh my God. And my mom heard the crash from the kitchen where she happened to be. And she came into the living room, looked at the floor, saw the vase, looked up at me, saw me, took one last look at the vase, took one look at me and saw the devastation on my face. She held me by the arms, looked me right in the eye, and said, sweetheart, that is a vase. And you are my son, who I will love forever and ever, and who I love more than any object in this house. Now go, go, go outside. 
Oh my goodness, I feel a bit teary listening to that. How beautiful. And look what a gift she gave you with that. Yes. Mm-hmm. She taught me what love really is. And if that was the whole point of having that buzz for so many generations, it served its purpose. Mm. And that, and I think, oh, I'm a bit dairy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think you made the point in the book that you'd like to think that God was at least as nice as your mum, huh? It's just... I would hope so. <laughs> ah, that's beautiful. So how might we apply this pure love in the real world when sometimes people are, can be absolutely opposed on a, a point, but they're both coming at it from a place of what they at least intend to be love, like with the vaccine thing for at the moment with with COVID, you know, some people think, oh, you need to have the, the mandates, you know, we need to get a certain percentage vaccinated, we've got to do this. And other people are like, it's coercion, it's a violation of my rights to choose what goes into my body. I know people with both points of view who both want to and aspire to embody love. So in a practical way, how would we apply the concept of pure love and just navigating our way through things that we feel so strongly about in opposition? By choosing for ourselves and if we feel the need to publicly oppose someone else or some other group, to announce our disagreement agreeably. We don't have to disagree disagreeably. We can disagree agreeably without violence, without verbal violence, without insults, without belittlement, but simply saying, I hear your point of view and I honor your point of view. And I hope you can hear and honor mine. And as long as we can hear and honor each other's point of view, we'll be friends forever. But there's no reason for us to somehow become verbally violent, to say nothing of being physically violent. Violence is not the same as variance. We can vary in our beliefs without being violent while we do so. And unless, as a civilization, we find a way to do that, we are not a civilization at all. Because there's nothing civil about the way we are interacting with each other. That's beautiful. You also talk about choosing your emotions. Would that be the correct way of putting it? Or at least cultivating emotions? Can you always do that? I mean, I know that I believe in God and follow all this and we in Melbourne for example had the dubious honour of having the longest lockdown in the world (laughs) and it was quite hard to live through and keeping your child at home remote learning without being able to take them to the playground because they're closed or have playdates or there were times that there was tension and being able to choose an emotion that I would have liked to be experiencing, I may have not quite um, succeeded. So are all all emotions need to be expressed, I imagine. Um, do you want to talk about what you mean about about that topic? Emotions are energy put into motion. E equals motion. So when you put energy into motion. We call it emotion. Emotions, that is how we put our energy into motion, are chosen. Emotions are chosen. Now, most people may not think of it that way. They think, they know, Neil, I was overcome by emotion. In fact, in fact, the mind decides how it wants to put a thought into physical motion. Now, the decision might be made in a split second. Fair enough. 
I will admit that the process is very fast, and you may decide that fast how you want to put that energy into motion. But it is a decision that you are making. And you can change your mind just as quickly, or you can decide it to put that energy into motion in a different way to begin with. And that's especially true if we're talking about events and circumstances and situations which are not new to you, but which you can expect. I, I, one of the things I invite people to do when they do one of my workshops is to make a list of the things that you know are going to happen in the next five years of your life. Not specific events, but the kinds of content that you know you're going to encounter. Betrayal, frustration, opposition, disagreement, whatever it might be. Loss. Watching loved ones suffer. Whatever, whatever it might be. And you, you then have the opportunity to decide. And if you make that list, I tell them, get out a piece of paper and make a list of five or eight things that you think you're going to experience before you're five years older than you are now. And they make that list. In the second column, decide how you are going to feel ahead of time. And in the third column, decide why you wouldn't do that why you wouldn't go ahead and feel the way you've decided you want to feel ahead of time. And in the fourth column, what would happen if you did it anyway? So, I'll give you just one simple example. It's, it's a lighthearted example, but I used to get very upset when I would show up at the airline counter and for some reason they didn't have my tickets right. Or I'd show up at a hotel and for some reason they didn't have my reservations correct. And since I have done a lot of traveling in the past 25 years, that happened to me frequently. I'd show up at the hotel and they'd say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Mr. Walsh. You don't seem to have your, your reservation here. I, I, I'm so sorry. And I would get upset. I'd say, I'm a member of the you know, Million Mile Club or whatever. You know, how can you not have a reservation? It was made by a travel agent you know, three months ago, blah, blah, blah. All the reasons that I'm right and they're wrong. And, and I did that once at an airline when my, when my wife agreed to marry me. Actually, she asked me to marry her, uh, and I said yes. So we decided to fly off to Las Vegas the next day and get married. And so we show up at the airport. I called ahead and made the reservations, but they don't have my tickets. And I'm really upset because I want to, I'm, you know, I'm going off to my marriage, to my honeymoon. No, they didn't have the tickets. So I started giving them a piece of my mind, you know. <laughs> and as I'm saying to the guy, you know, can't you guys do, get anything straight? I, I made the reservation. Here's the reservation number. I have the exact number, blah, 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 blah. All the reasons they were wrong and I was right. And my almost soon-to-be wife, is standing behind me, and I could feel the vibe. Is this really the man I want to spend the rest of my life with? This guy who's using a very unpleasant tone of voice, this guy who's being very self-righteous, this guy who's being very condemning and totally impatient, and making the man across the counter so wrong. And I turned to her, and she said, I said to her, I could be handling this in a better way, couldn't I? And she looked at me and she just smiled and she said, perhaps. <laughs> I like your wife. And so I turned around and I said to the guy, I'm awfully sorry, please, please forgive me, I'm sincere, please forgive me. It's just, you see this gorgeous human being behind me, this beautiful, striking female, she just agreed to marry me, and you'll forgive me. I'm a little excited about that. I guess my my frustration about not having the right tickets kind of took hold of me. If there's anything you could do to get us to Las Vegas, maybe on the next flight or the next flight after that, whatever. 
They got up to me and he said, fair enough. Let's see what we have here. Can't get you on this plane, but if you're willing to wait about three and a half hours and come back to the airport, I can put you in first class. No additional charge. Mm. And we got on the plane, and we we went to Las Vegas. We went to one of those one-hour wedding chapel places. You, you, you go to the courthouse in Las Vegas and get a wedding license. No waiting period. You just get a license, go right into the wedding chapel, and you can be married in 15 minutes. And we did that. And that was 14 years later. Here we are. 14 years ago, uh -huh. because my sweetheart turned to me in the car one day. We had known each other a week. We were friends for a week. Really? But, yes. But it was a wonderful week. One of those things that happen sometimes between people. We were driving to a plane, and this wonderful human being turned to me in the car and said, I think we should be married. And I looked at her and I said, you don't want to say that to me twice. She said, no, I'm serious. I think we should be married. I said, I put my hand out to her across the car and I said, done. And the next day we got on a plane and flew to Las Vegas and got that marriage license I was telling you about it. We were married. It was an impish thing to do. We both felt like little imps, like, oh my God, did we really do this? <laughs> but we did. And that was 14 delicious years ago. So that's, I think, the kind of thing that happens when you live a magic life. And I think you can live a magic life when you've decided who you are, why you're here, and what's really true about love, about God, and about life itself. Which is a good place for us to probably conclude this hour-long interview. I've enjoyed being with you very much. It's been an absolute thank pleasure. Thank you so much, Neil. I thank you for the opportunity. I'm sure that the audience is going to wonder why all of a sudden you're showing up with headphones on your head. <laughs> they weren't there before. So they say, oh, did you see that? Did you see that? Like magic. They just, yeah, they just showed up. Uh, so how can people get your book or work with you? They could just go to, they get my book at any uh, online bookseller. Amazon has it. You just go to Amazon and type in The God Solution and, uh, They'll have it in your hands in 24 or 48 hours. In terms of getting in touch with me directly, all they have to do is go to CWG, which of course stands for Conversations with God, cwgconnect.com. There I am. You can connect with me and have an opportunity for us to interact together. And I'm also on Facebook, of course. I have a Facebook page. So you can find me there as well. Wonderful. I will put all the links in the show notes. It's been an absolute honor and privilege. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it immensely. Thanks for listening. If you need support with your own podcast production, social media or repurposing, head over to livymusicmedia.com to find out how I can help. The music used in this podcast is a song called Messenger, written and sung by me. I'd love you to follow my music on the music streaming platforms. You can find my grown-up music by searching Olivia D'Souza on your favourite music streaming app. And you can find my kids' music by searching Livy, L-I-V-V-I. Or you can use the links in the show notes. Come and continue the conversation on my social media platforms under Livy Music Media on Facebook and Instagram. I look forward to having another soul-deep conversation with you next time.
the people see.